Hello, I'm excited you found your way here. I'm your host, Ashley Rennick, and you're listening to Waldorfy. In each episode, I explore and explain Waldorf education and its anthroposophical roots. Thanks so much for listening in, everybody. This is a really special episode that I wanted to do all summer as part of this first season of episodes, Waldorf Basics. However, I wasn't sure how to go about it. Then I had a listener, Julie Sorensen, message me. She gave me some feedback on the show and suggested that I cover public Waldorf schools. When I wrote back, I mentioned that I wanted to cover this topic, but that I was struggling to find the perfect guest. And she connected me with Dr. Mary Goral, who speaks so eloquently on this topic in today's episode. So thank you so much to Julie. I just wanted to give her a shout out thanking her, but also I wanted to mention her to give you all an example of how helpful it is when you contribute your thoughts and feedback on the podcast. Let me introduce to you my guest, Dr. Mary Goral. Dr. Mary Bar Goral began her career in education over 30 years ago. After teaching in the public schools in Bloomington, Indiana for 11 years, she received both her master's and doctorate in curriculum studies in math education from Indiana University. Dr. Goral taught in higher education for 12 years and works with public Waldorf schools, coaching and training teachers through her educational organization, Transformational Teaching. Currently, Dr. Girl works as the Waldorf Professional Development Coach for Seaside Community Charter Schools in Jacksonville, Florida. Dr. Girl pioneered two Waldorf teacher trainings, Great Lakes Waldorf Teacher Training in Milwaukee, Wisconsin, and Kentaten Teacher Training, a regional teacher training in Louisville, Kentucky. She presently serves as the Executive Director of Kentaten Teacher Training. Her book, Transformational Teaching, Waldorf-Inspired Methods in the Public School, tells the story of teachers in Louisville who use Waldorf-inspired methods with their public school students. Dr. Goral served on the Board of Trustees of Rudolf Steiner College and is currently on the advisory board of the Alliance for Public Waldorf Education. Thank you so much for chatting with me today, Mary. You're welcome. I'm really happy to be a part of this. So how did you become familiar with Waldorf education? I um, Well, I had been a public school teacher in um, Bloomington, Indiana, and I'd gotten my master's and I was getting ready to start my um, search for a dissertation topic. And at the same time, I was really going through some changes in my life. I was really looking for more meaning and for a, for a deeper purpose. And my good colleague, who I was in uh, graduate school with because I'd started a doctoral program, we decided that we would do a travel study and go to Scotland. And we went to Scotland and I was studying how mathematics were taught in the Scottish primary schools. And on the weekend, we decided we would take some road trips. So on one of the trips, we went to Findhorn on the North Sea, northern coast of Scotland. And while we were there, we had a tour. And I asked um, the people of this intentional community where their children went to school. And they said they went to a Waldorf school. And so here I was, an undergraduate degree in education, a master's, and now all the way through my coursework for a doctorate, and I'd never heard of Waldorf education. So I said, well, what's that? And they said, we'll get a, a book in our bookstore and read about it. So I did. So I bought uh, Francis Edmonds' book on Waldorf education, and I started reading it, and I knew that I had to do my dissertation on this because... What 
Francis Edmonds was talking about was the way I had always taught, but it, it seemed like it was a much more organic, deeper, well-connected, integrated way of teaching. So as soon as I got home from that trip, I contacted um, my advisor at Indiana University and said, this is what I want to do. And I want to do my dissertation on Waldorf education. And so he said, well, he had this master's student who had uh, gone to Stanford for his doctorate and had written his dissertation on Waldorf education. And this um, person's name is Dr. Bruce Ermacher. So he gave me Dr. Ermacher's information. I contacted him. He sent me all of the uh, book, a book with all of the Waldorf schools in the country. So I found that the two closest were in um, Chicago and Ann Arbor, and I contacted the Ann Arbor school, and they said, "Yes, you know, come come and visit and see if if you would like to do your study here." So I went to Ann Arbor um, to the Rudolf Steiner School there, and I believe this was 1993. I walked in the doors of that school and. It was amazing, actually. I, I felt like I was home. It, it was so incredible. And so I did a qualitative study there for about a year. But it wasn't long before I knew that the study um, had to be more, because I was looking at how they taught math in the Waldorf School. And my my advisor said when I started sharing my research with him, what I had gotten thus far, he said, you know, Mary, he said, you can't just do this on math. He said, it's too holistic of a way of teaching. And he said, I think you need to do this dissertation on um, and set it in the context of school restructuring and reform, because that's what was happening in the 90s. And he said, because it, it's just all, it's all one piece. And so that's what I did. So I did that. And then the more I studied it, the more I knew that it also couldn't just be for a uh, private school. I felt like this has to be a type of education that's available for all children. And thus my quest for Waldorf education in the public schools began. So that's kind of a, of a long story, but that I was how it. I found it. I was so curious to ask <laughs> you that question. Yeah, because, uh, you know, many of the teachers that have spoken with and educators and people involved with Waldorf so far have been so in the circle and realm of private uh, schools. And I mean, I don't uh -huh. know if you're familiar how it works abroad. I know in Canada, I'm not sure if it's charters, but I know there are kind of subsidized at least options. I don't know how it works up there, but in other, yes. in some countries, you can attend a Waldorf school, you know, that's part of like being state funded, yeah, I guess. Yeah, it is part of their offerings that, yeah, I did a, a research study in Scandinavia and uh, found out that in Sweden, Norway, and Denmark, that the schools are at the very minimum about 75% funded. They're, they're very well taken care of. And in Australia, they have two streams in their uh, school offerings, and Waldorf is one of those. Yeah, so it kind of depends on where you are, but mostly in this episode, we're going to be, I just wanted to point that out because we're going to be focusing on uh, 
North America and specifically the U.S., because obviously that's where your experience is with public uh, Waldorf education and charter schools. So moving into talking about charter schools, and you know, I know that's your passion is really bringing this mm-hmm. Waldorf approach to public education. What would you say are the fundamental differences between Waldorf education as we know it in a North American private school setting and in the public charter school approach? One of the biggest differences are the um, adherences to the state and national standards. So the majority of public Waldorf schools, the schools who are the people who write the charter, they go to their district or their state, and they're able to get waivers to teach the standards at a developmentally appropriate time. So they will... Um, make sure that all those standards are taught, but that they are all taught by eighth grade. So, for example, if there's something, um, let's say like fractions that are traditionally taught in fourth grade in a Waldorf school, if they're being taught in a first grade, then the standards will talk about uh, for the for the public Waldorf school and that will say that these standards will be fully met by fourth grade. So that's one of the things is the the standards. Another difference is testing. And the testing occurs in different states um, at different years. There was a study done out in California that looked at the, the standardized testing and how it looked in a public Waldorf school. And it compared the test score results to schools with similar demographics. And it it looked like at about second grade that the children in the uh, Waldorf, public Waldorf school were a little behind uh, for the test results. Fourth grade, they were about even. But um, in eighth grade, I believe the statistic was around 98%. So it was statistically very significant that the kids in the public Waldorf school were outperforming their peers of similar demographics. So even though they're tested, um, and it may look like they're not doing as well early on, just because of a slower reduction of, of certain academics, by the time they, they graduate, they're almost all ahead. Do you know, was that study done by Stanford University? Did you mention that? Yep, that was, um, it was Dr. Oberman. I don't know if she did that study at Stanford or when she was working for another organization. But the, the um, Stanford study came out just a few years ago, and they might have mentioned that, the study that Dr. Oberman did in their study. From the way I'm familiar with it, things are introduced when they're developmentally appropriate, which within the Waldorf curriculum, which mm-hmm. don't always line up with what uh, the way or t- or timing of when they're introduced in a more traditional public ap- approach to education. So what you're saying is right. um, whoever's right. applying basically to start the charter school is part of that process is saying, hey, we're introducing these things at different times, but in, we're in mm-hmm. agreement with you, the state, that by this year, these kids are going to be mm-hmm. at the level they need to be at. Correct. Now, now, there are a few charter schools in the country who teach standards at grade level. And the way that they do it and go about doing it is uh, they they try to make the content be developmentally appropriate. So in, in other words, I guess I would say rather than the content, the methods, 
the methods in which the content is delivered developmentally appropriate. So if they do have to teach in the first grade, they're going to do it through a fairy tale, if that makes sense, because yes, that's the developmentally appropriate method of, of teaching and for a first grader. Would they make that choice because that would be required by the state? Those by the things? state. Okay. Mm-hmm. What about the connection with anthroposophy? I've talked a little bit about that in this first season of episodes, uh, Waldorf Basics, mm-hmm. about anthroposophy and how it's you know connected or influencing Waldorf education. Okay. So uh, could you speak to that a little bit? Is there any yes. kind of, I guess, anthroposophical connection with the charter school at all? Well, one of the things to understand about anthroposophy is that it's really a path of human development. And some people get confused and they think that it's a religion and it is not. It's not a religion. Um, it's really a path. Um, and this is from Steiner's own words, but it's a path of human development. And what anthroposophy means is wisdom of humans. So it's really looking at studying the human being from a very, very deep way of of looking at the human being, and it's just different from a traditional approach to, say, um, studying child development, and you're looking at all aspects of the human being. So I don't think that anyone would disagree that we have, you know, a physical body and that we have uh, a life body that is um, what keeps us alive, and we also, everybody has in them... um, a divine spark, and also um, an ego that is the captain of our ship. And so if you compare this with traditional teaching and with anthroposophy, it's really, there, there's really no argument. It's, there's no difference. Um, some people get hung up on the fact that um, in in some of Steiner's works and some of his Versus, he uses the word Christ or God, and I think that if you're it, when you are in a public school setting, you don't use those words because of the separation of church and state. But you can say universe, um, and you can get you know the same meaning really. So uh, as far as anthroposophy goes, even in a traditional Waldorf school, teachers are not; they don't have to be quote-unquote, anthroposophists. They are um, expected to understand Steiner's approach to the human being, and they it, hopefully they will have their own kind of inner life that informs their teaching. But that happens at um, the charter schools as well. So that kind of leads me again into my next question, which is about the teachers. Okay. So how uh-huh. how are teachers trained? Basically, obviously, there's state requirements that they have to meet to be teaching in the public setting mm-hmm. within their state. But then what are the requirements uh, from uh, Waldorf Charter School for, I guess, the, the Waldorf side of it? Oh, that's a really good question. <laughs> a good um, question for you. <laughs> it's something, yeah, it's something I've been working on for a long time. I am um, an advisory member on the board for the Alliance for Public Waldorf Education. And we've been really asking this question of teacher education for a number of years. And the committee that I'm on, the pedagogical committee, we have come up with what we call recommendations for a high quality public Waldorf teacher education. 
these recommendations are also in alignment with, with the Alliance's core principles for Waldorf education in the public school setting. So what um, we have a few differences in what our suggestions are in the public school. One is that the, that the teachers really have a, a deep understanding of social justice and social difference of equity and diversity. And how can we take the traditional Waldorf curriculum and make it so that it has these components in it? So let's say that you were teaching um, about astronomy to sixth or seventh graders, and you were talking about the Gregorian calendar, for example. So it would be really important that the children knew and that you teach the fact that, well, there were other cultures who came up with a similar calendar before the Europeans did. So just to make sure that you're really teaching uh, a very broad worldview when you teach the, the subjects that are suggested in a Waldorf curriculum. So that's one thing is um, social justice, equity, diversity. That's one of our recommendations that teachers really have an understanding. And we, we try to include um, seminal texts for our teachers to read so that they are that they really are on that path. So that's one. We also have a recommendation for studying and having a, a really deep understanding of special education of students with special needs. And and of course we recommend that teachers study the way that looks in a Waldorf setting, really looking at the um, the course of study called the extra lesson. I don't know if you've talked about that or if we you've read about yet. that very much. We haven't much, yet. But, if you yeah. want to speak to that a little bit, I would love that. So that's how Waldorf, the Waldorf approach meets uh, special needs? Yes. Yeah. It's, it's really more of looking at it for, again, the whole child and understanding these phases of child development, um, looking at the children physically, in again, in a really deep way. So if you, if you look at a child physically and you, and you observe them very, very closely, you might see that, well, they're not crossing this particular midline. And so that means that they're not fully integrated. And so much of the extra lesson, this remedial work in the Waldorf school is done, um, is body-based. So many, many physical movements, exercises. Um, there's a lot of work with, with the arts. So with painting, um, definitely movement, but it's, I would recommend that you have, um, someone who's very well versed in this remedial work in the Waldorf school or the extra lesson to be one of your guests. Yeah. I actually, I think I already have in mind now that you're mentioning it, somebody that I may be able to speak to about that, but that's a really good idea. And I Thank you for that little tangent. <laughs> so that's something that yeah, you're bringing in um, for so, teachers, uh, you know, obviously that they're going to need within the public school setting right. as well. And we also do talk about the standards in our teacher trainings. And I am just coming to learn more and more about it, uh, the public Waldorf approach, which currently mm -hmm. really is only being kind of offered, I guess, in the charter setting 
in, in within charter schools. Well, there are also some district charter school or dif- district Waldorf schools as well. Oh, okay. So what's um, the difference? Inside- they're just part of the district. So they would be in the, it's not like a magnet school. They're just a school in the district. So in Sacramento, Alice Burney, which the Stanford study was written about, that is a district Waldorf, public Waldorf school. And they have another um, K-8 in Sacramento, A.M. Wynn which is a district Waldorf school. So if you're interested in, and I'm not sure, I'm sure it's a little bit different in each state. If you want to pursue the Waldorf uh, approach in the public setting, how would you go about that? So let's maybe first talk about, you already know there's a Waldorf charter school in your area. How do you get about Mm -hmm. applying or or getting your child into that school? Well, um, most... uh, Waldorf and and they're called uh, public Waldorf schools. That's the official name that um, that we're supposed to use. But in fact, let me back up a little bit. Um, the Alliance for Public Waldorf Education has an agreement with the Association of Waldorf Schools of North America, and the Association of Waldorf Schools have has a service mark on the name Waldorf, Waldorf inspired, inspired by Waldorf. And, and so what you're able to say, um, for example, the schools in Jacksonville, the Seaside schools, they're able to say that they are a member of the Alliance for Public Waldorf Education. And then there's also a difference between being a member school and being a member. If you're a member school, you've gone through the membership process. And currently, there are only a few member schools because this process just started about a year or so ago, and it's led by the Alliance for Public Waldorf Education. If you're a member school, you're allowed to use Public Waldorf in your name. If you're not a member school, for example, the Seaside schools, because they're pretty young schools, are able to say that we are a member of the Alliance for Public Waldorf Education, and we follow um, the Alliance for Public Waldorf Education's core principles. Just I wanted to say that. Yes, of course. <laughs> and then if you wanted, if you wanted to try to go to a school like this, then you would um, call the school and see if they have an opening. And then if they do have an opening, then there's an application process, and you would get, um, you would fill out that process. You would go on a tour. You would have a school visit. Uh, usually the child would, uh, spend a day visiting in a particular classroom and then there would be, um, then the parents and the teachers and the school would decide if, if that would work. Now the school cannot turn a child down if there is an opening because it's a public school. So it's it's not like a private school where you would say, well, we're not taking any more. The only way you can uh, you can't take any more children is if your um, if your classroom is capped out. So if that happens, then you go on the waiting list. There's also a lottery for many schools if they are full, if they're at capacity, and you put your name in the lottery, and then um, if your name is chosen, just like in most charter schools, then you you would get to go. So how would someone go about? This is the big question, starting a Waldorf charter school if they oh, wanted to. Oh, yeah, that is a big one. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, 
Well, there are a lot of resources out there. So one resource is, again, the Alliance for Public Waldorf Education. And on their website, they have some sample charter applications. But they have people, um, the Alliance has people that can help. And you would get in touch with them and ask, you know, what kind of assistance could they offer? But the first thing would be to find out who, who does the chartering. So is the charter going to come through the school district? Some states, their charters come from universities. Some states, the charters might come from the mayor's office. There are a lot of different ways to gain a charter. It just depends on the law. So you would first do that, find out who's offering the charter, find out um, what the process is. And the pro one of the processes that you have to do is write a, a great big long application. And uh, another thing I think is incredibly important is to know your community and know that you are going to have um, a lot of community support. Because so, a lot of times you will get pushback from the traditional public school because the traditional public schools feel like charter schools are, are taking their students away. And um, in my opinion, I think they're needs to be choice and that parents need to have a choice if they don't feel like the traditional public school is meeting their children's needs then they need to have options they need to have choices and it's a it's important for parents to have that for children to have that because not every child is going to thrive in a traditional public school yeah so coming back to i want to come back to speak a little bit more about the classroom experience for a child in a public Waldorf, public Waldorf school. Do you feel that there are any compromises, I guess, that need to be made? You talked about the differences between Waldorf education as a private mm -hmm. approach and then as the public approach. Mm -hmm. Do you feel that there are ultimately compromises you really have to make to that traditional approach to bring it into the public school setting? And what do you feel are kind of the hardest compromises to make? Yeah, that's a good question. Um, one of the compromises is definitely the testing. I think it's especially hard for the younger children um, to do the standardized tests. If they have to take the tests on a computer and, and you're not using computers on a daily basis with the kids and maybe they're not using computers at home, this is a real detriment to children and it's an unfair way to test them if they don't have computer skills. So that's a compromise, and it might be that you have to teach keyboarding to your children, um, which would ultimately serve them in life. But um, so, so that's one, um, taking the test, the way the tests are given. Are um, they always given over a some, computer? It, it depends on the state. It depends on the school district. Some, some you can still take a paper and pencil test. And, and then there are schools like, in um, at Seaside in Jacksonville, they um, they have to do, and this is a requirement by their district. They have to do uh, periodic testing throughout the year in math and language arts, and those scores have to be reported to the district. And this is in addition to the standardized test, so that's a compromise. Wow! Yeah, it's I definitely. 
it's hard for me to imagine doing testing in the earlier grades. Obviously, I didn't, I didn't have any, but I'm really interested mm-hmm. in this, in the public approach to Waldorf education, because as you feel, I think it's really important that it can be an option for as many children, as many families as possible. So I think that these are kind of conversations that are worth having and compromises that are worth discussing and talking about um, for the benefit, Mm -hmm. basically, of the student that then gets to attend uh, a Waldorf, essentially, you know, a Waldorf public school. And there are other other compromises as well. Sometimes it's it's just timing, like the timing of the school day, um, the trying to get um, everything in that you're required to get in by the state. So there's a 90 minute literacy requirement for some states. Per and day? Um, that's per day. Per day. Okay. Yes. So if you think about the main lesson, though, and the main lesson is almost always literacy, unless it's a math one, and then you still have literacy in it, and a science one. You still do reading and writing in mathematics and in science, and there's still storytelling and biographies and those things. So I don't really see that as a hindrance. I see that as an opportunity to be creative. So one of the things I've heard so many teachers talk about sitting down with me and talking about why they like being Waldorf teachers and why they like Waldorf education is how much freedom they feel they have as teachers to meet the students where they are. And do you Mm -hmm. feel that, that especially you are a facilitator of teacher trainings for teachers that go into the Waldorf public school setting? Do you feel that these teachers are still able to have that, at least some of that in this, uh, in this approach? I think they have a lot of creativity. Um, they still do have to meet the standards. And so, for example, if um, if you're in the first grade and you're telling fairy tales, one of the standards might be that you're able to sequence um, the events of a story. So to me, that's pretty easy because you tell the story one day, the second day you review the story, you retell it using creative instructional strategies. And so there are a lot of different ways that you can work on sequencing um, from hearing a fairy tale the previous day. So I think that that creativity is still there. Um, I think it's teachers have much greater opportunity to be creative in um a public Waldorf charter school or district school than you would in a traditional public school. I think that there's actually no comparison. You know, I think one of the issues, and I don't know if I would call this a compromise as much as a a problem, and that's that there aren't enough trained teachers. So you mean public school school teachers overall or Waldorf, you know, trained to be in this Waldorf public school? Waldorf, trained Waldorf teachers. Yep. And, and so to go into such a richly nuanced, layered, intricate way of teaching with no training, that to me is, um, sets up a difficult situation for the, the schools, the parents, the teachers. Um, and it happens all over the country that there just are not enough trained Waldorf teachers to meet the needs and the demands of um, the charter schools. And the charter schools are, are growing. This movement is rapidly growing. 
And I think you, it takes a special kind of person to be a Waldorf teacher. You really have to want to be artistic. And I don't just mean like that you're a, a good musician or a, um, a good fine artist, but that you want to teach in an artistic way that you bring imagination into everything that you do, that you, you teach in a lively manner, that everything is enlivened. Um, all, everything that you teach is enlivened with this, this feeling of, of, of the arts. So, and you have to want to do that and you have to feel comfortable doing that. So it does take a special kind of person. It's, if people think that it's going to be less work to be a Waldorf teacher in a public school or a private school, you're wrong. Oh my <laughs> gosh, I it's know. It's a lot more work. <laughs> my um, my husband, his <laughs> father was a Waldorf teacher for 30 years. And that guy, I mean, I think he was up at five oh, in the really? morning. Yeah. I think he was up at five in the morning yeah. and he was up and, and you know, working until like six or eight at night on curriculum and getting things prepared and focusing oh, on my gosh. and really working yep. on what each student in, within his class kind of needed. And yeah. honestly, I think that's one of the things that's so appealing about it is this teacher is so, so, like you said, trying to have imagination and creativity surrounding how to meet the entire group mm-hmm. that they're presented with. So I guess specifics that I am familiar with within Waldorf education in the private setting, and I kind of want to know how they come into, or if they come into the public setting. So specific, okay. uh, one of those is looping. Great. So looping is a uh, Waldorf uh-huh. teacher being with one class for more than one year. So t- traditionally, if if possible, it's right. one through eight. And I had one, I have two other sisters who also went through Waldorf school. So one of us, one of the three of us mm-hmm. had a teacher that went through uh, grades one through eight. Um, and my other sister and I had two teachers for the eight, through the eight years. And I don't mean... Um, to be clear uh-huh. with parents, I don't mean one teacher for all subjects all day long, <laughs> just uh, the one right. teacher, the class teacher right. for these main lesson blocks that come in the morning and guiding kind of the students, I guess, connecting through the whole day as well. Um, so is that, mm-hmm. is looping something that's going on in, in public, uh, in the public Waldorf approach? Yes, it is. In many schools, they try to do the traditional one eight loop. Um, some schools in some states have a requirement that teachers in the middle school, and they may consider middle school six, seven, and eight, or seven and eight, that those teachers have a degree in the subject that they're teaching. So if the math, if you have a math teacher, that teacher has to have an education, a teaching certificate, and a degree in mathematics. Um, so you have to be a certified math teacher or certified science teacher, certified um, ELA teacher, English language arts, or a certified social studies teacher. So that uh, messes up the loop. <laughs> so, right. because not very many people are going to be certified in all four of those areas. So there are some places where you could do like a, a one six loop and then have uh, teachers that are certified in the subject areas for seventh and eighth. Some schools do a one a five loop uh, and a six, eight loop. Some do a one, four loop and a five, eight loop, but um, almost all the schools try to do some kind of looping. Awesome. That was one of my favorite things. So that still remains intact. Yeah. Yeah, That was one of my favorite things actually about 
uh, being a student in Waldorf schools. I feel mm-hmm. like the teacher got to grow with us. I, I've talked about this before in another episode. There's so, so much art curriculum that's embedded into mm-hmm. the Waldorf curriculum. And that's how you're approaching teaching so much of the time. So painting, drawing, right. modeling, woodworking, handworking. So how, I mean, in, in some states, I wonder if that's even, is that kind of allowed to have that much kind of through the whole day? Or does that need to be taken up by other other stuff? How does that work? Well, most of the schools that I've been in have uh, as many of, of those um, arts offerings as possible. The one, actually, I would say two that seem to not be offered as much are eurythmy and speech. So that's... An, you mean like a like the plays? Kind um, of, like speech the as in a, a, trained, a, a trained speech teacher. Oh, okay. So it's, it's kind of a dying art, really. And there, I don't even know, um, you know, off the top of my head, how many trained speech teachers there still are. But in a traditional Waldorf school, I don't know if you had speech as um, a subject, like an extra course, a class that you would go to. But I know a lot of schools have have that. Yeah, we didn't. Um, we did not have that at the time that they, I attended. But we did have yeah, Eurythmy. It probably was already starting to go. Yeah. We did have Eurythmy. Great. So, but I had somebody actually email me last week who said that their daughter is about to begin attending a charter school and there's Eurythmy at that charter school. Some of them do have Eurythmy. Okay. <laughs> it's just... Just depends on the school and depends It kind of depends on, the... on if there's a Eurythmist around um, or if they're able to, let's say, if they need to offer Eurythmy in a block, like a six-week block. Can you find uh, a Eurythmist who travels? And are you able to make your schedule to align with that? One of the things I remember so clearly and loved going through the grades was going into the classroom from the very first day of first grade you go and you shake your teacher's hand when you walk in in the day and you shake your teacher's hand mm-hmm. at the end of the day. And it sounds like such a, I guess, silly thing. Mm-hmm. Is that important? You know, but I really found that's one of the most, if one of the most important things that I experienced through my years within a Waldorf school, it really, I don't know. I think it brought a lot to my education and really who I am, that that's kind of the way you introduce interact at the beginning of a day with right. someone you're going to work with and the way right. that you interact oh, with that's you and so the day. Important. Yeah. And is that something that's mm-hmm. carried over as well it's, through, through the public approach? Yes, it's, it happens in every public Waldorf school that I've worked with and every, all of them that I know of start the day, the morning, um, with a handshake, um, or a hug. And it's, uh, it is a way you check in with every child you make eye contact with them, and the child grows from this experience because they have this opportunity to really be in this moment with their teacher and to feel strong in that moment because there are, are many children who are shy and they don't know how to speak to adults, but this gives them an opportunity on a daily basis in a safe setting to exercise that, that skill of greeting and, and of saying goodbye and just how important that is and how respectful it is. It's respectful from the teacher to the student and from the student to the teacher. Totally. And yes, it, it does happen in the charter schools. It's really, it, you're right. It's a hugely important part of the day. Another important part is that beginning that morning verse. 
And the charter schools do say a morning verse. They don't all say the traditional ones recommended by Steiner, but they do say wonderful morning verses that have that same kind of meaning where this is where we are. We're at school. We're starting the day. We're here to do work. We're here to um, help ourselves, help one another, yeah, to be a, to be um, a contributing member of, of a community. I, uh, I'm wondering if you have any recommendations for good intro to Waldorf resources that you could share with the audience. I find that's something that's kind of tough when people are looking, which is why I started this podcast, you know, when people mm-hmm. are looking for information about Waldorf education, if okay. somebody hands you like a book that Steiner wrote, it's like, whoa, this is way too much. I mean, I have a toddler. Uh-huh. It's just like, I cannot read this right now. It's so intense. So yes. do you know of any good, uh, somebody's interested in Waldorf education, interested in the Waldorf public mm-hmm. approach to education? What are some good resources to start with? One of my favorite ones that I always recommend to people is Jack Petrash's book, Understanding Waldorf Education from the Inside Out. It's a great read. I would highly recommend that one. Great. We'll put a link to that on the show notes page. This is a book that I wrote. It's called Transformational Teaching, Waldorf-Inspired Methods in the Public School. So, and I think it's an accessible book and that it could be um, helpful for people. Perfect. So just one last question. So for parents who are interested, let's say, in implementing Waldorf ideas in their home or in, in their parenting with their children today, mm-hmm. what would you say is the, the the best way to start right now with trying to implement something Waldorf right away with their family? Well, I would say that the most important thing, and I think all parents understand this, but I know it's hard to do in our busy world, is a real strong rhythm. So um, that you have a rhythm where the same things happen at the same time every day and that you have a a good bedtime routine that your child goes to bed at um, an early hour and that they get plenty of rest because sleep is hugely important. So rhythm, sleep, um, ritual. If you could have some kind of ritual around your meal, especially your um, evening meal where you might light a candle um, and say, give some kind of thanks for the food that you're eating. It's really nice if the whole family can eat together, sit down at the table um, and have a meal together. That's very important. Um, Outdoor time. So being outside, um, if you don't have access to a woods, just going to a park, um, but outdoor time, really important. And when you're outdoors, to have the kind of play be um, in nature. So go to a creek bed. Um, Kids love that kind of thing. Even if they're the type of children who have been used to a lot of media, you get them in the woods or in the creek bed and they're going to be totally enamored with that. Telling them stories, and you can read stories, but you can also tell stories. There's something about that um, telling stories from the heart, from one person to the other person that's very impactful, very powerful. Eating healthy foods, and even having children um, as part of the food preparation is something that parents can do. And that's a a wonderful way 
to just have the kids be part of the daily um, operations of the household. And sometimes it takes more time. Well, always it takes more time <laughs> when you're having the children be a part of that. But it's worth it. Definitely worth it. Well, is there anything else that you'd like to share with the audience, Mary? You know, I, I don't know if I really talk too much about the similarities in a charter school. I talked about the differences. but Oh, yeah, that's a good point. The similarities are big. Um, you do start the day with a greeting and a handshake or a hug. And you do start the day with a morning verse and a morning circle where the children sing songs and do movement and recite poetry. And there is storytelling and they do keep main lesson books. And the subjects of the main lessons really follow along with the suggested uh, curriculum that many traditional Waldorf schools use. They do watercolor paint. They do play recorder. Um, they do have class plays. They do have handwork. They um, have a lot of outside play. Outdoor play is a big part of charter schools. They, they do singing and, and music classes. They have woodworking. There are just so many similarities. Uh, one of the things that might be a little different, a lot of the charter schools have skills classes in the afternoon. And this doesn't mean that a traditional Waldorf school does not have a skills class, let's say in math or language arts, but they might do mathematics um, every single day um, in the afternoon. And they might do some kind of ELA readers or writers workshop every day. But those skills classes link in beautifully with the main lesson. It's not like well, now we're going to write about something totally different from what we were talking about this morning. It's still integrated. So the similarities are, are strong. And in some charter schools, you would walk in and you would not know the difference between um, a traditional Waldorf school and a, a, a public Waldorf charter schools. Wow. And, and I think that the parents... Um, Majority of parents are incredibly happy with the experience that their children are having. I, I highly recommend it. I can totally vouch for that. I feel like I've had so many parents from different uh, Waldorf public schools reach out to me and tell me, you know, that they are interested in learning more about Waldorf education specifically. And the draw mm -hmm. for parents to want to learn more about it is they're seeing in the public setting, this is something so different and we're loving it and our child is loving it. So what are, what are kind of the roots yes. of it? What is, what's tying this together? What's the uh -huh. reasoning behind all of these things that my child is experiencing? Um, and most of my content, it is really based um, from my own, obviously, experience within the, the private school setting. And then a lot of the teachers I've talked to also um, teach within the uh, private mm -hmm. school setting. But that being said, like you've just discussed is most, if most, not all, but most of these things are at very least a little bit integrated into all schools. And like you're saying, some schools a lot. So um, it's just something that parents yes. can kind of become more aware of. And uh, the way I see it is, I mean, we've talked about teachers and how uh, teachers do, I guess, inner work to really make themselves yeah, they in do. space to mm -hmm. be able to do the kind of work it is to creatively teach 
the deep the work students, with the children. Yeah, in a way right. that meets them. And the way I see it, I think that if parents are interested in learning more about it, that we can kind of think about that a little bit as parents too. You know, how can I make myself? Because mm-hmm. um, yes. I, I definitely would not kind of identify myself as like an anthroposophist or something. But a lot of the kind of ideas mm-hmm. in this sphere connect with me in the sense of, oh, if I make myself... Uh, better and really observe my son where he is, where he's at, I can be a better parent and and serve Mm -hmm. him better in my role and Mm -hmm. relationship with him. So I think that's kind of a a neat idea. And, you know, in our um, teacher trainings, um, we do study Rudolf Steiner's works. And it's um, because you cannot understand um, the curriculum and instruction, the pedagogy, the methodology, unless you understand really what Rudolf Steiner was all about, what he was talking about, what what his philosophies were. So you have to have that. You have to study Steiner's work in order to be able to be, uh, to, to really bring forth this type of education in a true way to the children. Well, thank you so much, Mary. This is so, there's so much good information here, I think, for for parents. Um, So yeah, thank you for joining me today. Yeah, you're very welcome. Thank you for asking me. I've enjoyed it. Thanks, everybody, for listening in. I would love to hear your feedback on this episode or any of my content. You can always send me a message at info.waldorfie at gmail.com or leave a comment on the show notes page for this episode. You can find the show notes page for this episode, links and the recommendations books that Dr. Mary Goral recommended at waldorfie.com forward slash public Waldorf. I would so appreciate it if you would rate and review Waldorfie on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts. It would be wonderful if you could share Waldorfie with your colleagues, friends, and family too. Sharing on any social media platform is a great way to do this and to spread the word about Waldorfie. I hope you'll connect with me on social media. I'm at B Waldorfie. I'm active on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter, and I'm definitely the most active on Instagram. Thanks again for tuning in, everybody. Be well. <laughs>